the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, great to be with you. I have a very short opening wink because we've got some uh, recorded uh, interviews coming up. But So I want to get to this quickly. One of the great privileges of doing this program, especially making it into a podcast, is it gets sent out all over the country. And I got an, a, a text, no, it was a Facebook message this morning from my old friend Frida Keogh from Missouri. And she said, I didn't understand your point on the wink. It was too messy. It was a long day yesterday, so I'm sorry about that. I tried to combine a couple things, and I didn't do a good job. But the beauty of it is, because Frida texted me or uh, Facebook messaged me, I got another chance today. And it's as, it's as important Here's why. Uh, Just on, let's see, Thursday morning, Simone Sanders, who is the senior advisor to Kamala Harris and her chief communications person, one of the most senior uh, African-Americans in the Biden administration. She was at CNN when I was there. She was really obnoxious on the air and not much better off the air. She just was not a very pleasant person. But she went early for Bernie Sanders. Actually, she went for Sanders four years ago or five years ago, whenever it was. And this time she went for um, she went for Biden. And she's African-American. She's pretty well-spoken, I have to say. She knows how the game is played. And she's really young. And she was with Biden early. And so she was in on the early part. Well, she didn't get the big job in the White House, which was a surprise. And then she got the senior, senior job with Kamala Harris. But here's my point. If Simone Sanders is quitting from a job like that, it says something about Kamala Harris. And what it has been, what people have said about Kamala Harris is she doesn't keep top talent because she listens mostly to her sister and herself. And whoever she's listened to is giving her bad advice. But here's what else I want to tell you. If Simone Sanders is leaving... When she can look across the White House and see how frail Biden is, that tells you that there's no way the Democrats are going to let Kamala Harris ascend to the presidency. So now you have to say to yourself, if Kamala Harris resigns, say she takes an appointment, Supreme Court, some said, maybe she takes a big job, maybe she, I don't know what she would do. But if she left, again, I go back and this is for Frida. Here's what happens. The vice presidency, if it's vacant, must be appointed by the president, but it must then be confirmed by both houses of the U.S. Congress, Senate and the Senate chamber, as well as the U.S. House of Representatives. So right now, if Joe Biden nominated a successor to Kamala Harris, he could probably get that person through, right? A Democrat, they'd negotiate, but it's all Democrats in the House, and all, enough Democrats 50-50 in the Senate. Although I guess it would be crazy. They, they wouldn't have a tiebreaker if Kamala Harris goes. But that's what they'd have to do. After next year, if the Republicans get control, you've got no way to do it. You couldn't fill it. Because the Republicans could block any appointment to uh, any nomination and not confirm it. So my point in all of this, 
was simply that something's going on in the White House, and the reasons are, including, the, re- the biggest reason is because it looks like the political writing is on the wall next fall in 2022. Now, it's a long way off. Uh, I still think there's a lot of things that can happen, including stealing the elections, which is one thing Frida Keogh works hard to stop. Uh, but that's what I meant yesterday with that. So the, uh, my point here is the power play, the dynamics going on in the White House, because they know Biden's so unpopular and fading, and they know Kamala Harris is even more unpopular. The power politics is wild to watch. All right, I got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Our old friend Peter Navarro is with us. And, uh, his book, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year, it's really good, Peter. I have to tell you, I know I had John before. We're talking about the book, but I've now read all of it. And uh, it moves along uh, partly because you did the year, that last year of the Trump, but also uh, of the Trump administration, but also just the so much was going on and so fast. So first of all, what's the response to the book, Ben? I've seen some coverage but it has it's not a tell all book in the way like you're not talking you're not you're not talking about people's foibles you're talking about real stuff how's the response been well uh the response from the grassroots been great I mean, the wall street journal just came out uh with their best seller list and we hit number 3 on that list uh for the audio book the audio book's really cool uh not because i narrated it which i did but because i actually did something innovative. I'm surprised nobody ever done this. And um, I used actual voices of the people in the book. I recorded them along with uh, like clips from, uh, from right. TV and stuff like that. When I quoted stuff. So you got, you got Stephen K. Bannon in it, Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, this hmm. guy, Doc Hatfield absolutely steals the show. Corey Lewandowski does a killer scene on air force one the night before election. Um, I was on the, the in Trump times been on the uh, USA today. And, and Amazon bestseller list, but it's not because of any coverage by the uh, by the corporate woke media, but but in spite of it, it's been shows like yours, Ed, that have been getting in Trump time out to the people, and uh, they've studiously ignored in Trump time in the uh, in the uh, corporate media because um, unlike some of the left wing screeds, I don't uh, savage Melania or Donald John Trump. Uh, in it, and what the mission of the in Trump time book is, is very straightforward. It's to fire Fauci and put him in jail. It's to hold Chinese communists accountable for attacking us with a deadly virus. Uh, it's to get to the bottom of what happened on both November 3rd in the stolen election and on January 6th with the betrayal of the president by, uh, by Mike Pence. So, um, I, I appreciate you saying it. it's a good read. I, I tried to, Bannon always told me, show them, don't tell them. So it does, does uh, read um, often like a movie script. And, and I, yeah, it and does. There's a little scene yeah, that's here. Right. I narrate, uh, when, I, when I write a book, I dictate it. So it's for the ear, not the eye. So it's like I'm talking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but, no, it does. Know, it, the, it, the it does. It does. It cool. yeah, does. It moves like that. It does. Now, uh, in Trump time is the book, A Journal of America's Plague Year, Peter Navarro, and it's available all seasons press, wherever, wherever you get books, you'll see it. Um, Peter, uh, the, um, the, uh, 
now we see, you know, FDA comes out a few days ago and says, we're not going to let you see the Pfizer data until 76 yeah. years from now. At this point, yeah, there's no, there's, yeah, there's no doubting that there's no reason. Let me say it affirmatively. There's clearly no reason to trust what's coming out of the government. There's no, there's no way you can trust that. And I think we all feel that. But what happens yeah. next? Yeah, well, what happens next is is we either fire and jail Fauci or he's going to use the powers of the Biden regime uh, to force you to take booster after booster, jab your children, uh, to take the vaccine, whether you've had the COVID, already have antibodies. And we're going to wind up with a lot of people um, and not necessarily dying. And we run the risk of a super mutation. Uh, that wipes out a lot, large amount of people. I mean, uh, it's like nobody, look, nobody can ever accuse me of being an anti-vax. I was the guy in, on February 9th, 2020. It's all documented in the in Trump time book. I was the guy who helped jumpstart the whole Operation Warp Speed. But Ed, in the memos I would write to the task force, there's about a dozen of them, uh, I would note that the vaccine's not a magic bullet. Uh, we need to... Even more importantly, in my judgment, to develop a of easy to use, easy to administer, cheap therapeutics to give right. to people at the first sign of disease. And, and hydroxychloroquine is, is really the crown jewel of that. It's a $12 drug. It's been safe for 60 years. But this Chapter 7 of In Trump Time illustrates how, how Fauci and CNN's Jeff Zucker and others uh, created this hydroxyhysteria to stop it. My point is that the vaccine, um, it's not really a vaccine. Yeah, let's, let's be clear about that. It's an experimental technology, um, and not like smallpox and polio vaccines, which, you know, one and done. It's, it's, a, right. it's, a, it's a technology used to provoke an immune response that now we learn is a fairly temporary response. So there you go, you got to go get these boosters. And it seems to breed mutations as well that easily evade uh, the immune response. And it, 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 he, here's what's really important, Ed. The, the reason why Fauci needs to go to jail is because he lied by omission to me, to the president, to the task force of the American people in January of 2020, that his gain-of-function experiments had likely genetically engineered it and that it was probably a bioweapon. He knew all of that. Instead of telling us he covered up, why is that important, Ed? Because if we had got known that then, we would have pressured the Chinese to give us the genome of the original genetically engineered virus. We still don't have the original genome. Why is that important? We could have designed uh, a much more complex and effective back true vaccine to address right. that that uh, uh, that deadly virus. Uh, instead, Fauci engaged in a cover up using what I call in the in Trump time book, the dumbest guy who ever tried to play God, this, this cutout named Peter Daszak, who uh, Fauci used both to funnel money into the Wuhan lab, but also to spin a false narrative about the, the uh, virus coming from nature rather than the lab. Right. Uh, we're talking with Peter Navarro. And again, his book is in Trump time. 
uh, a journal of America's plague year. It's fascinating. It'll take its place. I, I predict Peter among the books uh, about presidential elections also, because it's all that context. I think Trump wins yeah. the election wins, wins, in, wins the November, 2020 election by 20 points. If there's no COVID, I mean, but, but putting that aside, Peter as Navarro in the last couple of days, they subpoenaed you before one of the committees in Congress on the COVID. Now, I think that's like the craziest guy to subpoena in the sense that you clearly love talking about this. You know everything about it. You know, what? why would that be something they want to do? Are they going to try to, I mean, how do you embarrass Peter Navarro? I mean, I, I remember you telling me the last time on, last th- the last time on the radio you described how you went about your research, uh, you know, where you, you learned it when you were over either MIT library uh, when you were at Harvard or wherever it was, and you described it. You would go first get the uh, research, get the source, then go back to all of its sources and back to all its sources. And I thought that's one of these academic minds that's different than anyone else. What are they going to subpoena you and talk about? I mean, what do they want? Well, it is is uh, darkly funny and ironic. Uh, what what they're going to try to accuse me of, uh, and the president, most importantly, because that's who they want to blame, of being slow to respond to the pandemic. And my response to the subpoena was, hey, I'm sending you guys a case of the in-Trump time book. Because <laughs> exactly. It illustrates, <laughs> yeah. it illustrates that, that, well, you, James Clyburn, was dumb and happy, uh, not thinking about the virus until, like, March um, I was like out there in G- as early as January writing memos saying it was going to kill 600,000 people and cost us trillions of dollars if we didn't move. And then I'm moving a dozen memos on the, what I call the five vector attack strategy in the in Trump time book. It's like testing. It's like ventilators. It's PPE. Yeah. It's vaccines. It's therapeutics. You know, look, dude, it's like, do your thing, okay? But the thing about Clyburn is this needs to be said. It's like he is, he should be the second most scorned person in Washington, D.C. and in this country. The first one is Joe Biden because he is a discredited, illegitimate, mentally incapacitated president who's done everything wrong in office. But Ed, do you remember who yeah. was the guy who saved his career? Do you remember this? Yep. It was exactly. yep. in South Carolina. South Carolina yeah. And yeah. who endorsed him. He won that primary. And that was that was the end of Bernie Sanders and, and Liz Warren. So Clyburn, it's like it's like if you're dumb enough to give us <laughs> the, the worst president in history, don't be getting in my grill. Uh, you're barking yeah. up the wrong tree, and and I'll I'll go ahead. It's like right. right. Um, <laughs> I, I, my record is my record, right? Bill Bill right. Belichick says your record's your record. Well, my record's in the in Trump time book, and you want to see how quickly we move? Hey, in Trump time means as quickly as possible. And Clyburn right. and Pelosi and De Blasio and Fauci, well, they were sleeping and telling us not to worry. Uh, I was working on behalf of the best president in history to make sure the American people were protected. So well, uh, I'll tell you one other thing. It's like a sheriff shows up (laughs) at my door today to give me a subpoena today after they sent me the subpoena by email yesterday and said, well, we don't have to send a sheriff if if you'll acknowledge this. I said, sure, I acknowledge the subpoena, right? They send the sheriff anyway. It's just just witch hunt intimidation. 
Um, I right. think you know me well, well enough to I, know I'm the wrong guy to try to intimidate. Well, the only the only thing that's going to happen in that hearing, besides you, you you're going to have too many answers and too much information, is someone's going to get to the point they're going to say, "Did did Navarro sleep at the White House? It sounds like he worked about twenty three and a half hours a day." And and it, you know, and then these guys that work about five hours. Uh, last question, Peter. Yeah. The late though, yeah. we're talking Peter Navarro. The book is in Trump time: A Journal of America's Plague Year. Um, and uh, Peter Phyllis, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to say one of the most important things that she did was run for office and lose. Because when these people run for office and win, they think they're geniuses, and they never realize when you run and lose, you you, you have you, you have you have learned you have learned how politicians yeah. and elected officials think. And you yourself, yeah. you you've been a candidate in the past, and you have that sensibility. Where we are right now in in this country, and these elected officials. What is your what's your what's your feeling, especially the Democrats? Where where's this going? Where's this headed? Off a cliff. I mean, we're going off a stagflationary cliff right now. Um, just making a series of bad decisions, and I, I've never been more concerned for this country uh, in my life. And you know, I went through the '70s stagflation. I went through the Vietnam War, the assassinations of JFK and Bobby and. And Martin, I, you know, I, I went, went through, uh, went through it all. I went through the, the, the crash of 2007, um, where we're headed is, is a very bad place. Uh, but, but look, let me ask you, you know, let's imagine you were interviewing me in November of 61. Okay. And mm-hmm. yeah. And, yeah. And you, we knew you, we knew sitting there during that interview, what we know now, which is as a hundred percent historical fact, Kennedy stole it from Nixon. We, we know this. That's it took decades, right. but we now know that is true fact. Um, would you be saying, well, Peter, do you think uh, do you think Nixon should run in '64? And how sure are you going to win the House back in '62? Or right, right. Ed, would you be saying, hey, uh, we know this was stolen. Shouldn't we be moving to decertify the election? in Illinois and Texas and take back the White House now? I think I know the answer to that question, but that's the question that needs to be asked precisely in that context, because that's exactly where we're at. Yeah. All right. Peter Navarro, it's a great book. It's important. And uh, your voice is great. I'm so fun that they're subpoenaing you uh, so that you get a voice up there. I hope they broadcast it live. So keep in touch. Thanks, Peter. Take care, Ed. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, it's a fascinating book that he's written. His name is Chris Fenton. His book is called Feeding the Dragon, uh, Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma, Facing Hollywood, the NBA, and American Business, published in 2020, a Post Hill Press book. But it reads like it could have been published yesterday because uh, especially we'll talk in a moment about some of what's happened since uh, Chris finished the book. Well, Chris Fenton himself it was a very successful, is a very successful businessman, somebody who had a, a massive role in um, in uh, the American, um, I guess you say, Hollywood or uh, movie making or entertainment with a company called DMG Entertainment Motion Picture Group, as well as another portion of DMG. So well positioned to talk about this. So first, Chris, welcome to the program. How are you? Ed, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. 
Well, so the my listeners know I love to read, and I got your book only yesterday, but I powered my way through very much of it. Well, not all of it, I'd say, but they know I do it. I start with a uh, a cheat uh, a plan. I go from the first chapter or two, and then the last chapter or two. But here's one I want to tell you: the dedication, or not the dedication, even your dedication is, I think, to your family. But the the opening on the front page of the book it says, "Self reflection is an extremely powerful force." When I started writing this, I felt passion as a voice of dissent. By the end, I learned I was complicit. And then a few more sentences. And then you say, and uh, uh, we either continue to coexist through the bond formed by exchange of culture and commerce, or we consciously start a Cold War. At the very end of the book, the postscript, you say, I finished the book in January 2020. And three things happened. And then you go on. But Kobe Bryant was one thing you mentioned, which had a massive cultural impact. But then you talk about COVID-19, which, you know, is a marker in the world, in, in world history, right? The change. So almost... Is the book out of date? I mean, do you feel like what's happened in the last year and a half has already changed where we are? Wow, that's a great question. Well, to tell you the truth, my my goal with the book was really to write something timeless rather than timely. So if if, if you noticed, and, and I know you've only read part of it so far, and, and by the way, I'm humbled and honored that you're, you're getting through it, um, is yeah. that I, I end the book roughly around 2014 because the goal – was to show essentially this mission of globalism that I was, um, you know, that I really followed and believed in, which was this idea of the more products and services we got of America into the uh, into China, the the better it was for the United States overall. We would grow GDP, we would um, create jobs, and we would disseminate the aspirational qualities of democracy into a communist country. And it wasn't just me; it was all the other people engaged in that. That, that commerce and cultural exchange between the two countries that believed in those principles. And I really wanted to showcase how we got here today by showcasing essentially the years 2000 to 2014, which really culminated in this um, massive success that we had with a movie called Iron Man 3, a big Marvel Disney property. So the goal yeah. of the book even today, was to say, hey, this is what we were under. This was the mission that we believed in. But here is the detrimental effects it's had on the long-term of, uh, health of the United States of America. And if we continue in this engagement the way it has been, it's going to get worse and worse and accelerate in that deterioration as we go on. So we need to really consider how we're going to change the dynamic. And like you said at the beginning of the book, I really don't think Cold War or war is what we want. Yeah, no, no, no. Nobody should want that. I agree with you. That, 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 that's a loser. Uh, Chris Fenton is the author. The book is Feeding the Dragon, Post Hill Press, everywhere books are available. Really interesting. By the way, I, I undersold myself. I've read about 90% of the book. I just it was jumping around like crazy. But, but I, And I want to ask you about one thing about the through line. You open with, um, you're, you're all freaked out because the Iron Man 3 uh, red carpet's about to happen. You're in Beijing, I think it was, and, and, and the Iron Man 3, Robert Downey Jr.'s people are like, hey, we need more security. Okay, so you're going through that. But what I read in there, and as we go through the whole book, um, what changed by the time you got to Iron Man 3 was it, 10 years earlier, when you came to town, the Chinese regime, they wanted to make the world perfect. They would, you know, the, the NBA, Kobe, they would stop the traffic. They put the military police out. By the time you get to 2014, I guess it was, you got Iron Man 3. They want you there. They want you to succeed, but they're already kind of saying, you know, you need us too, right? We know you're going to make the money. And it feels the way you describe it, like China's starting to 
uh, have an upper, not uh, have a stronger hand in the relationship, and and you're starting to feel it. Now, four years or seven years later from 2014, in some ways, do they have? Does the Chinese government, China, have a heavier hand? I mean, you know, it doesn't look like Iron Man three had it, but there's certainly a- a- accusations that some other movies in the last five years have changed their plot line or at least the uniforms of the Red Dawn guys or whatever because of pressure from China. Do they have the upper hand by now? Wow. I'm humbled that you picked up sort of that that subtle thread, but it's 100 percent true. I mean, the goal for us was just to get fish into the market so they could consume it. Right. right? But what they right, what the right. Chinese Chinese Party wanted was us to teach them how to fish. So um, in the mm-hmm. in the business of Hollywood, they said, hey, We'll let your movies in, but we want you to help train us to become world-class filmmakers ourselves and to build an industry around filmmaking that can, that can cater to our own public. And they do that, rinse and repeat, with every other industry. So what we've seen over time is, yes, in their infancy stages in the early 2000s, they really needed us. And they wanted us in there to help them. And then as they started to gain leverage and as they started to gain know-how and as they started to be able to do that same thing themselves in various industries, they start to shut us out. So if you look at Hollywood's market share, in 2012, when we did a movie, Looper, which I talk about, a Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie in, this, in the book, um, we had a, roughly an 80% market share as far as movies in that market. We cut to today, it's down to 8%. Last year, it was wow. 15%. The year before, it was 32%. And you can literally look at that same market share decline and look at it in terms of electric vehicles, to air- airplanes, to Starbucks imitators, to Nike imitators. Everything is going the same direction. So to answer your question, 100%, they need us less and less, and the leverage has gained more and more on that side of the Pacific. So, but Chris, when you say that eight percent uh, market share from Hollywood, who's got the other ninety-two percent? Is it homemade China? Is there a Chinese Hollywood that's making action films? Yes, a hundred percent. They have a movie that they made oh. themselves called "The Batter of Lake Chengcheng," which is um, right now approaching the one billion dollar mark as far as U.S. dollars generated from the box office just in China from a Chinese movie. Wow. Okay, so that's what they're doing. Now, uh, another part of the book, and I'm sorry I'm bouncing around a little, but I want to cover some things, and I, and I hope that my listeners will say, I want to go read that book, and, and maybe we'll have you back on again, uh, Chris. But another part of the book you refer to, I think it was Sandy Hook. Yeah, here it is, Sandy Hook. And you're talking about how when you're in China and, and the TV is on, you know, when something is censored, the screen, if it's CNN or something, will just go black. And it'll be black for the period of that report because they don't want you to see it. Then it'll come back on if you were to say at a hotel. And then they talk about Sandy Hook. They, they, uh, they let it play because I think they thought it shows America in this kind of hard time or whatever. But I don't, care. I don't want to talk about Sandy Hook for a second. I want to ask you about the power of the communist, the government, the centralized government to control you know, the message like we get angry in America. We're fighting with each other over MSNBC and CNBC or CNN lies and and Fox lies and who's lying, fake news and all. And there's a lot of reason to be concerned about who's controlling what message. I'm I'm not I, I am I'm I'm on that uh, kind of team of what's happening here. But in China, the, they have a real command control of of uh, of of um, what you see and what the people see. And so can you really now, now that you're at your point, you are 2021, you've written the book, you've studied this. Can you expect that you could 
sort of infiltrate China with movies and images that will be acceptable and bring our values? Because I don't think the regime will let us, will they? Well, it's 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 fascinating. And um, the answer to that is no, you can't expect that they're going to they look at Hollywood as a machine that creates propaganda from the West. So their goal was literally to learn how to fish from us so that they can create their own fish for that consumer market. And once they can do it and fill their theaters and make sure that that economy runs in that particular industry, they're going to shut Hollywood out all the way. So that ability Mm. to to, uh, bring in and disseminate the qualities of democracy there, that uh, that door is closing quickly. And as far as their ability to control narrative, it is massively um, powerful, and they are the best in the world at it. Imagine a country of 1.4 billion people where if, if their version of MSNBC and Fox and OAN and CNN, they're all saying the same thing, the same angle, the same spin all day long, right? That's what their people get right. from their news sources, from their uh, the Ministry of Propaganda, which oversees that, right? And it's so powerful, and it really can dictate the way the populace thinks there. In fact, right now we're seeing nationalism really rise because of this dispute with the U.S., the the tensions over Taiwan. And we're seeing that uh, disseminate through all kinds of consumer products coming from the West, right? There's this this hatred or this um, essentially resentment towards the West right now that is causing the pocketbooks to close for Western goods and services and open for the imitators that are made there in China. So, again, we're talking with Chris Fenton. His book is Feeding the Dragon, and it's Post Hill Press. It's uh, inside the trillion-dollar d- dilemma facing Hollywood, the NBA, and uh, American businesses. Um, I-, I got, like, so many more questions, Chris. Uh, but one thing, though, is at this point, uh, when, you re- when you open the book, first maybe four chapters, I thought, okay— I got a guy here who's a big businessman, big success. He's seen it from the inside. He's going to tell me how we have to stay in this market. You know, we have to figure out how to make this market because it's good for us. It's good for our nation to be strong and have this uh, industry. By the end of the book, I thought, I think he's pretty much decided that I don't know if we can make it. And now, now seven years later from when you were talking about 2014, are you optimistic I'm not super optimistic. I think um, I, I'm very involved with Washington, D.C. and the U.S. Asia Institute as a trustee. So I did a virtual delegation uh, for congressional members and, and the National People's Congress over the summer. So there's still dialogue going on between the two countries, which is key. We do not want Cold War or war. I think there's a real opportunity to rebalance the playing field when it comes to trade and when it comes to cultural um, exchange. I think there's simple things like the WTO redesignating China as a developed nation rather than a developing nation with the SEC um, enacting new accounting standards that apply to state-owned enterprises in China when they want access to our capital markets, just like every other company that needs access to our capital markets. There's a lot of ways to rebalance. And then on top of it, their encroachment on our free speech rights, the ability to shut down the NBA in their market because of something a GM of the Houston Rockets says or a player for the Boston Celtics says, that has got to stop. We have to back those people and those free speech rights, both from the government and from the partnerships 
that the NBA has so that we can push back on encroachment outside of the borders on our free speech rights. It's one thing to say something critical of China when you're inside China itself. But it should be a right. whole other thing when you're here in the United States of America criticizing China because they do that all day long to us and we don't retaliate against them like they do right. to us. Right. Right. And let me ask on that one. Uh, you know, nobody nobody that's serious thinks that the Chinese aren't trying to influence uh, American life, uh, TikTok or just in general. It's just not their style not to. Um, is there any way we uh, is there a black market for Internet films in China? Can can people somehow get uh, satellite? You know, can Elon Musk do whatever he's doing with satellite Internet that could get people access to things so that you could break through? Or is there really a, a uh, what do they call it, the Chinese firewall, the Great Wall of China uh, uh, that blocks the Internet? Well, the firewall is extremely powerful. And in fact, K, um, satellite feeds only come into expat uh, areas of town and designated hotels, huh. and that's why you're able to pick wow. up like a CNN International there. Um, as far as the right. Internet itself, everything is off limits that the Chinese government wants off limits. The only way around that is a VPN service, but a lot of the VPN services are very difficult to use over there. So they can really prohibit platforms from reaching their audience or journalists reaching their audience or any messaging reaching their audience there inside those borders. And that's a real problem because here, journalists from China Daily or Xinhua or, or from you know Global Times, they have full access to the people in the United States of America, and they have full access to our platforms, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. There's just no reciprocity on the other side of the Pacific for us. Yeah. Um, Chris Fenton, last question. The book is Feeding the Dragon Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma Facing Hollywood, the NBA and American Businesses. Notwithstanding what you said, you work with the America Asian Institute and all. Can you go back to China after writing this book? You know, it's funny. I've been invited a couple of times. I, I don't think I'll go on any some, on any sort of trip that is an official delegation. I, I do want to go back. I love the Chinese people. I love China itself. Um, our challenge is with the Chinese government, and, and that's something very important to bifurcate. Um, this is not about the people of China that are 1.4 billion strong, but are under a very, very strong totalitarian communist regime that tells them essentially what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to act. Mm. It's fascinating. Chris uh, Fenton, thank you for the time. Thanks for writing the book. It's really important that you're out there. Uh, Post Hill Press put it out. Chris Fenton, Feeding the Dragon, available everywhere books are. His perspective as having been a uh, successful uh, executive in the movie industry working in China, it's extraordinary. So thanks for the time, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have me back anytime. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll do it. We'll think, I'm going to find a, some reasons to do that. It's great. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. After a nearly year-long ceasefire, America is once again plunged into the war on Christmas. The left has worked diligently to turn the phrase war on Christmas into a joke, at the expense of conservatives. But that is nothing more than a thinly veiled tactic from the Sololinsky playbook. Today, I'd like to make the mathematical case for why the war on Christmas is so painfully real. Each year, more and more retailers expunge references to Christmas from their marketing. 
More and more clerks and cashiers are barred from wishing customers a Merry Christmas for fear that they might offend Americans who don't celebrate this holiday. The last time I checked, retailers are in the business of selling goods to make money. If a store's affinity for social justice impedes their ability to make money, they put themselves at a distinct disadvantage. Given this premise, let's look at what Americans spend in this most wonderful time of the year. It is estimated that 93% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Total spending on the holiday in America has topped $1 trillion each year since 2016. Last year, this came out to just under $1,000 per household. Obviously, that's a lot of money to be collected by America's retailers. Now, let's put these numbers in context by comparing them to another popular holiday. Only 65% of Americans celebrate Halloween as compared to Christmas's 93%. Further, the average person celebrating Halloween spent only $100 this year, nearly one-tenth of what people spend on Christmas. Obviously, retailers have a lot more to gain by pushing Christmas sales than they do for Halloween. Yet the hesitation to mention Christmas is unique to the holiday. How can this be? The answer is simple. Culture warriors on the left are masters at weaponizing fear. By attaching a negative stigma to Christmas, they hope retailers will ignore the numbers. If you're a business owner, don't fall for these tricks. Leftists lie, but the numbers don't. Americans love Christmas, and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. Merry Christmas to all. This Christmas, please know the entire staff at Phyllis Schlafly Eagles wishes you joy-filled time with family and friends and a new appreciation for the miracle of Jesus' birth. As we head into the uncertainty of a new year, we promise to chronicle our work at phyllisschlafly.com. If you bookmark that site, phyllisschlafly.com will always be just one click away. Blessings to you and yours. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to my friend Adam Angievsky at OpenTheBooks.com. He's been a regular guest on this program, and as we're wrapping up the show today, I just want to point you to his column in Forbes magazine, or Forbes.com, better said. It runs regularly. He's listed as a senior contributor. Of course, he's the founder and president of OpenTheBooks.com, and I cannot recall in my head um, if his piece, if if Forbes column runs every week or every other week or when, uh, but it's always good. It's, it's always helpful. And um, he, he posted a piece a day or so ago, and the title is FBI and Other Agencies Paid Informants $548 Million in Recent Years with Many Committing Authorized Crimes. Now, first of all, let me salute Adam Angievsky. OpenTheBooks.com is a, an organization that seeks transparency by asking governments, government agencies and others, to disclose how they're spending the money. And they're very smart, Adam and his team. They're very uh, committed, and, and uh, that's not the word. I mean, they are committed, but they're, um, pers- they're persistent. You've got to play the game. You've got to ask the question the right way, re- make requests. Some state-level requests require this kind of format. Some federal FOIA requests require others. So uh, openthebooks.com. Check it out if you haven't. Great organization doing really important work. Well, Adam's piece in uh, Forbes highlights this, this question. 
And, and we talked a few moments ago with Ron Kessler uh, about his writings on the FBI and CIA. And he, he did write a column a few years ago about how J. Edgar Hoover, he was so mean. He, 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 as as Ron, Ron Kessler said, he did do some good things, but he really got uh, sort of uh, hooked on power. And he was doing some things that really were un-American. And, um, and so Ron, when we were talking to him, he was saying, you know, all these entities uh, you have to be careful with. And, and one of the tools that helps them stay uh, on the up and up is transparency and knowing what they're doing. So you read this piece in Forbes. You're talking about over $500 million that's spent for informants, people to uh, par- sort of participate in getting to the bad guys, quote unquote. So Amazon truck drivers that are delivering packages into places and all and other things, form uh, informants. And, and frankly, we only know the spending. We don't really know. Some of this stuff would have to be secret for security. So, but just heads heads up on OpenTheBooks.com. Check them out and uh, tip my hat to them for their great work, Adam and his team. And we'll get into that story some more. I, I think we have to, if we're going to rebuild the trust in our institutions, you got to shine a light in and make sure what they're doing is on the up and up. So uh, uh, it's good stuff over there. All right, I'll put it up on social media. We got to run. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer, Joanna Spilger, our assistant who helps book our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Talk to you then. The Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>